Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What is up and welcome to the second episode of the Alex Fast Show. So a quick refresher on what we're going to be doing here Every single major league pitcher is in the big leagues for a reason. And, you know, maybe their arsenal has something that's like very unique or they have like a distinct release point, you know, something that allows them to succeed. And what this show wants to find out is what's that reason? What makes that pitcher unique? So every week I'm going to be doing an exhaustive dive on just one pitcher. We're going to peel back the layers on what makes that pitcher tick. And in the process, I'm going to be breaking down to the best of my ability, at least one high-level pitching concept per episode. That could be uh, induced vertical break, which is what we did last week. It could be seam-shifted wake. It could be vertical approach angle. And uh, like I said, it's going to be the best of my ability, right? The whole point of this podcast is I'm learning about pitching every day, and I want to learn with you. There are things that maybe I get right and things that maybe I don't get right, but the whole point is to have conversations about pitching, about what makes pitching pitching, and hopefully we can all learn about this stuff together. Um, hopefully you tuned into last week's episode where I was joined by the inimitable David Cohn and we were able to break down Bryce Miller together. Now, <laughs> the, that kind of transitions me to the fact that this is not necessarily inherently a fantasy podcast, right? I'm not going in and saying, hey, is what Bryce Miller is doing going to be sustainable over the course of a full year? We'll have some of those conversations, but that not, that's not the lens by which we are approaching these uh, podcasts, right? And hopefully that sound I'm hearing is not all of you turning this off. Um, it's, it's you getting interested in, you know, the analytical side of it and the research aspect of it. Now, before we dive into today's episode, which was voted on by people, which was very exciting, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I released the first episode last week and a lot of you reached out to me after the first episode with really kind words. And that seriously meant the world to me. I I appreciate your feedback. Um, I, 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 the fact that you took time out of your day to text me and say that you enjoyed it and that you listened to it, that just meant the world to me. So thank you. I, I appreciate that. This podcast is for you. Uh, I want to do this with you and for you and do it together. If there are things that you want more of, let me know. Reach out to me on Twitter at AlexFast8 and we can talk about it. But without further ado, though, let's get to the reason why you're here. Breaking down one of these pictures, right? We don't need two minutes of preamble. Let's get into it. So I'll lead from the top with we're going to talk about Mackenzie Gore. Uh, there was a Twitter poll before this, and it was, are we going to talk about Gore or Tyler Wells? Gore barely beat out Tyler Wells, which kind of stunk because I already had so much research on Tyler Wells. But, man, the more I dug into Mackenzie Gore, the more interesting it got. Love it. He's a prime example of kind of what I'm talking about, are about how pitchers are super unique, right? And then today's concept that we're going to break down is kind of a twofold. It's perceived and effective velocity, Okay. So overall, 
Um, it's no secret, right, that the Nationals in and of themselves haven't necessarily been able to develop pitching, right, whether internally or whether they acquire pitching prospects, right? I don't really, can't even recall, aside from Steven Strasburg, who, like, maybe their last prospect who really kind of panned out was overall. Um, now, you can't, I can't definitively say here and say, okay, well, it's it's all their fault. Maybe I can. But there's just so many levels of nuance and detail about pitching development. There's so many layers that you have to go through between the minors and the majors. And so it's difficult to definitively say, but I think we can agree that the Nationals are probably not the organization you think about when you're coming to developing pitching. So it was interesting when the Padres traded uh, Mackenzie Gore over to Washington because we didn't know what we were necessarily going to get. Last year, we saw a relatively significant sample to Gore as a starter in San Diego. In his 13 starts, right, we're not looking at total appearances, just starts, he put up a 408 ERA with a 383 FIP, 24% K rate, and an 11% walk rate. The whip was was really poor, uh, around 1.42. And in terms of usage, we saw him go to the heater about 60% of the time, and then mixing in kind of a smattering of curveballs and sliders about 15 to 20% of the time with a handful of change-ups tossed in every once in a while. So just like we started last week, I want to start with Mackenzie Gore's four-seamer. Now, there is no theme here, now that I kind of say it, but it is kind of funny that we're now doing back-to-back guys who go to that four-seam a lot, right? Bryce Miller goes to that four-seamer a lot. Mackenzie Gore goes to the four-seamer 61% of the time, which according to the the pitcher list player pages, which everyone should be using, is in the 97th percentile. So he's made some gains in velocity uh, as he's sitting about 95 when he was actually sitting about 94 last year. But I want to look at some of the more raw properties of this four-seamer to start for Mackenzie Gore. So in 2022, Mackenzie Gore's four-seamer had about 17 inches of vert or carry, or hop, right? So remember last week we talked about induced vertical break, and anytime I'm really going to be talking about vert or saying a measurement, it's going to be induced vertical break, and uh, you know that's kind of the raw numbers without gravity included. You can check out the last episode, uh, last episode for kind of a more in-depth uh, dive on what that means, but really all you need to know is that like the higher than ever, the more rise or vert that that pitch is going to get. 17 uh, isn't necessarily, you know, knocking anyone out of the park. I think like the highest are like 19, right? But 17 isn't bad overall. Um, He had a negative five inches of horizontal break to the pitch, had a 96% spin efficiency and an observed tilt or spin axis of around 1130. And I'll break down spin axis in in an upcoming episode. It had about a 4.8 vertical approach angle, 1.9 horizontal approach angle and a 6.91 feet of extension. Alex, why do I care? You just threw like all of these numbers at me. What am I supposed to do with these numbers? I promise they will tie together to something. So let's look at Mackenzie Gore's 2023 four-seamer, right? The same amount of vert. Okay, so he's getting about 17 inches of vert. So nothing has really changed the amount of carry that he's getting on the pitch. The horizontal break on the pitch has increased about an inch. So it was 5.1 last year, negative 5.1, and it's about negative 4.1 this year. What does that mean? That means that he's getting more cut on the four-seamer than last year. The tilt is relatively the same. So he's able to kind of shoot the, you know, elevate, or not elevate, I should say. He's able to get the same amount of carry on the pitch. But the reason I brought up the extension, right? I said he's got about 6.91 feet of extension. He's really increased the extension on the pitch. And as a result, 
of that increased extension, he's his effective velocity on the pitch has nearly shot up a full tick from 95 to 96. So before we break down effective velocity and, and the whole big thing there, let, let's kind of recap that real quick. So getting the same amount of tilt, gaining uh, about a mile per hour in velocity, and then gaining more extension and getting more effective velocity as a result. So the jump in effective velocity has allowed him to go from the 18th highest effective four-seam velocity to the sixth highest effective four-seam velocity. That's with a minimum of 500 thrown. Okay. So what is effective velocity and what is perceived velocity and is there a difference and how come I see different versions of, of, of uh, effective velocity? Okay. I talked a little bit last week about a theme that's sort of common in the baseball analytics world from my perspective, where there's a lack of consistency in how we refer to terms, right? Effective velocity and perceived velocity sound like they might as well be the exact same thing, but not only are they different, I actually know of two websites that use like effective velocity differently in what they're referencing, which can be very maddening when you are trying to learn the language of pitching, right? So let's start with effective velocity as theory. Okay, the theory of effective velocity. So this is a theory created by Perry Husband, and it's widely accepted to be true, um, putting an asterisk there, okay? There's a great piece on Driveline. It breaks it down a bit more exhaustively if you'd like to, uh, you know, read in regard to uh, pitch sequencing and how this pertains to pitch sequencing. Um, I also want to read a quote right now from Jason Turbo's piece on SB Nation a few years back about this. Um, so... It hinges on response time, he says. Husband's model is based on the arc of hitters' swings and the understanding that bats must move further to reach pitches on the inner part of the plate than on the outside edge. Put another way, a batter can hit an outside fastball as it crosses the plate, but to make solid contact with an inside fastball, he must reach it much sooner, up to two feet in front of the plate, which requires the hitter to move the bat a greater distance in less time. With this detail in mind, it makes sense to build an approach based not on a pitcher's radar speed, but how quickly the man standing in the batter's box can react to it. Okay, so that's the quote from Jason Turbo's piece. What is it? Essentially... Effective velocity says that two pitches thrown at the same velocity but in different locations will be perceived differently by a hitter. Imagine you're a pitcher, okay? You're standing on the pitcher's mound. You're looking at a right-handed hitter in the box. Now, imagine that white strike zone that you usually see on TV broadcasts, okay? Again, you're the pitcher looking at a right-handed hitter. You draw a diagonal line from the top left-hand corner of the strike zone down to the bottom right-hand corner of the strike zone. A pitch in the top right quadrant, so up and in to a righty, will in theory be perceived as faster than a pitch in the lower left-hand quadrant, right? And as you work your way down the diagonal and get further down the strike zone, the lower the perceived velocity is going to be. Now, as the Driveline article hints at, this is a really interesting concept when pitch sequencing comes into account because let's say you have a fastball that sits 95. It'll sit 97, according to this theory, if you're throwing it up and in, and it'll sit 94 when you're throwing it down and away. How does a changeup play off of that? How does a slider pay off of that, right? The other concept, well, actually, before I get to the other concept, I want to note, too, 
that driveline kind of reaches a conclusion that it doesn't necessarily believe that this is definitively true. The piece says, quote, we find that although uh, uh, effective velocities theory is rooted in interesting theoretical concepts that have influenced the game positively, the verifiable aspects of effective velocity are not supported by more rigorous statistical analysis at the MLB level. So they're saying, mm, not necessarily if this is definitively true. The other, but I at least wanted to break it down in case you hear, oh, effective velocity, what does that mean? The that's the theory of effective velocity. The other concept of perceived velocity, which is a little bit more concrete, is essentially how fast a pitch looks to a hitter based off of a pitcher's extension, right? So to quote Major League Baseball's glossary on perceived velocity, it takes velocity one step further because a 95 mile an hour fastball will reach a hitter faster if the pitcher releases the ball seven feet in front of the rubber instead of six, which makes sense, right? I'm releasing the four seamer close to you, right? The perceived velocity is going to be different as a result. Now, what I was talking about earlier is in many ways, perceived and effective velocity are the same. That's one bucket. And then the theory of effective velocity is a totally different thing, right? That takes location into account a little bit more. But for, you know, it's okay to say the effective velocity and use it interchangeably with perceived velocity. At least that's how you're probably going to see it displayed. Let's go back to Mackenzie Gore now that we've broken down this concept. Like I said, he increased his extension and as a result, the perceived velocity of his four-seamer shot up and is now close to, to, is I think top 10, and depending on what website you're looking at, is either faster or as close to as fast as Spencer Striders though, right? So big positive step forward when it comes to that four-seam velocity. Here's what sort of stinks about it though, the location, okay? When you have a, the perceived velocity that Mackenzie Gore has, in my opinion, you probably want to be elevating your pitches a little bit more. And even though he doesn't necessarily get elite carry, he gets enough and has a good enough velocity that he could be having success doing that. Um, if we're looking at the theory of perceived velocity, as we just talked about, perceived velocity, uh, excuse me, I apologize, effective velocity. If we're looking at the theory of effective velocity, as we just talked about, <laughs> I got to keep these terms straight if I'm trying to explain them. Effective velocity would say, well, if he has a 95 mile an hour pitch and that's a 96 because of extension, if he goes up and in, that's going to be that's going to look 97, 98. Right. According to that theory, he's not doing that at the moment. Mackenzie Gore is not elevating that four seamer. According to pitcher list, Gore elevated his four seamer about 47 percent of the time, which is 29th percentile in baseball. When Gore does elevate that four-seamer. He's got a 209 Woba and a 16% swinging strike rate on the pitch. When he doesn't elevate that four-seamer, it's a 516 Woba with a 7% swinging strike rate. And it's not the smallest sample size in the world. It's still, you know, want to see more data, but that at least indicates that you should probably be elevating a little bit more. Now, that's, of course, easier said than done. Like, you can't just go to a pitcher and say, hey, elevate your four-seamer. It's, it's not often that easy for them, but Gore discusses in a very fantastic piece by Eno Saris that just came out, the command is something he seems to be working to figure out. As he says, quote, baseball is hard. Your pitchers can be doing everything they need to be doing and you can get lit up. If I can just figure out how to command it all, I'll be all right. And I firmly believe that, right? Now, with that said, this 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 podcast might as well be called the exception to the rule. And maybe it should be. Nick wanted me to call it the Axe Fast Show. But the exception to the rule is maybe what I would have called it because every 
piece of pitching I find there's a rule and there's an exception to the rule. The rule in this case is throw your four seamer up. The exception to the rule is Shane Bieber, who, you know, before we were worried about his velocity, didn't elevate his four seamer because he wanted to set up his curveball and he had a lot of success. Kevin Gosman doesn't necessarily elevate his four seamer, throws a lot over the heart of the plate because it sets up his splitter. Even Clayton Kershaw, who we're going to talk about a lot moving forward, doesn't do it that much. He doesn't elevate his four-seamer a lot. It sets up his slider and curveball super well. We talked about earlier the increased cut that Mackenzie Gore has shown on his four-seamer too. And I know that Nick often doesn't really like when righties showcase more cut on their four-seamer. But I asked Nick about lefties. What was his thought when lefties show more cut on their four-seamer? And he said, no, because jamming right-handed hitters is a bigger deal than jamming lefties for right-handed pitchers. So he doesn't mind it as much. Still not ideal, but it can work more in a lefty's favor if they jam a right-handed hitter. It's worth noting as well that Gore's four-seam performance has actually slightly improved from what we saw last year, especially when it comes to right-handed hitters. The hard contact has dropped down to a bit better than league average. The WOBA is still hovering around league average, but it's improved. We already discussed that he's getting a bit more swings and misses on the pitch. He's getting a lot more weak contact on the pitch with a lot more, actually a bit more ground balls, more lazy fly balls, a lot more infield fly balls, which is really good. The problem is just unable to do it consistently, right? The other problem is definitely a small sample size issue, but also very jarring that when it comes to left-handed hitters against Mackenzie Gore, it is very ugly when it comes to that four-seamer. So Mackenzie Gore's four-seamer against left-handed hitters has a 578 WOBA, a 517 average, and a 50% home run to fly ball ratio, but it also has a 700 BABIP. He's still getting some swings and misses, and like I said, it's a small sample size of like 20 batted balls, but it looks like Gore might need to find a different combination to throw to left-handed hitters, because while that regression is certainly coming for him, positive regression, I wonder if teams are just going to stack lefties against him and see how long before that positive regression takes. Um, I was having another conversation with Eno about Mackenzie Gore, and it looks like there are some interesting comps here about Gore when it comes to that four-seamer and the foundation of Mackenzie Gore's arsenal. Drew Smiley comes to mind. His sinker isn't too far off in terms of movement profile. Neither is Blake Snell's or even Clayton Kershaw's. And as Eno mentions in that article about Gore... His profile sets up nicely to be like Kershaw's in a way, and there are actually a shocking amount of similarities between the two pitchers, and in order to explore the biggest difference, though, you know, because Mackenzie Gore is not Clayton Kershaw, we need to move to that pitch that Gore throws the second most, which is the curveball, and yes, we just spent, what, 12 minutes talking about Mackenzie Gore's four-seamer, but this is what I promised, right? I said it's an exhaustive breakdown, and I'm not lying, so let's talk about Mackenzie Gore's curveball right after this break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow, and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. 
to sign up for your trial today. Relatively negligible increase in usage between year over year as he still goes to the pitch about 20% of the time. Uh, I want to say that overall, you know, Mackenzie Gore is a really interesting pitch break chart. If you want to get into studying pitching, I think that looking at a player's pitch break chart is a really great way to begin. You can see them on the Savant uh, page, Baseball Savant, via the Illustrator feature. You can see them in game day section as well. You can access them in the search function. You can reach out to me on Twitter at AlexFast8 if you need a link, and I'm happy to point it out for you. So often you'll see a good amount of separation between pitches on a pitch break chart. I want you to imagine like four quadrants like you would see in math class. And I'm sorry to make you think about math. Um, but imagine those four quadrants. And I want you to imagine you're looking at the quadrants from the pitcher's perspective. So, for example, from the pitcher's perspective, I'm looking at the four quadrants, a four-seamer with a lot of rise and a lot of horizontal movement to the right or run will be in the upper right-hand quadrant, right? Think about that pitch. It's going up and slightly to the right uh, if it has a lot of horizontal movement to it in towards the hands of a right-handed hitter. So in that case, where if I'm a right-handed pitcher, where would a sweeper go? Well, that would kind of go middle to bottom left in terms of quadrants, right? And then a curveball would be middle but down low, right? Where, you know, so I think you kind of get the point. It's kind of charting the pitch break. It's a pitch break chart, right? So usually these guys have pitches like in all sorts of different directions, and that's how you can see their pitch separation, but not Mackenzie Gore. If you draw a straight line down, right, like, at, like literally, if you're just looking actually at the vertical axis at zero, zero, you'd hit a, a majority of Mackenzie Gore's pitches. As he mentions in that Eno piece, he has a lot of problems getting horizontal and he knows it. He has a changeup that can get some horizontal movement, but he can't really show any consistency with the pitch, and we'll get to that in a little bit. If horizontal is difficult for him, he should theoretically be focusing on drop, and I don't know why he isn't necessarily doing that more, but then again, he's had results without it. Last year, the curveball had a little bit of horizontal movement and a good amount of drop to it. So last year, Mackenzie Gore's curveball sat 81 miles an hour. It got about 10 inches of drop without gravity, 52 inches of drop with gravity, and you cut to this year, and he's upped the V uh, I think to about 83, 84, and it's getting seven inches of drop without gravity. So three inches less of vert or induced vertical break, 45 inches with gravity. So that's interesting. He's lessened the amount of velo disparity between the curveball and his slider, right? It used to be about a seven mile an hour difference between his curveball and his slider. Now it's about a five mile an hour difference for Mackenzie Gore's curveball and slider. And he decreased the amount of overall drop that the pitch is getting, bringing it closer to his slider in terms of shape. So while Gore wants to be Kershaw, I mean, who, who doesn't want to be Kershaw, he's actually moving slightly in the opposite direction in terms of the amount of drop that he's getting on his curveball, but it's working for him. That's an important caveat. Often getting more drop in a curveball can be better, but there's, like I said, always exceptions to every rule. Gore's curveball this year has a 177 batting average against, a 254 Woba, a whopping 21% swinging strike rate. And I wonder if there's some relationship between that four seam and the curveball shape that it's benefiting the curveball overall. A common theme for this podcast is turning into command, right? His command. We've talked about his command. And while you can't say that Gore doesn't have great command of the pitch, he doesn't really know how to put that curveball in the zone. It's a 29% zone rate on the curveball, which is pretty remarkable considering it's the second highest pitch by usage for him. And maybe he doesn't need to when he's throwing his heater 61% of the time and putting it in the zone 52% of the time, right? And it's also worth noting that the location plus on the pitch is actually about average. In terms of actual batted balls, the curveball has a 39% ground ball rate as guys are just really getting on top of the ball, and that's above league average, well above league average, and they're hitting into the ground. 
And this could be due to the very good horizontal approach angle he's getting on the pitch, as well as a few other factors. It's also one of the few pitches that he is able to throw successfully to lefties. Let's move on, though, to the slider. All right, so I talked earlier a couple minutes ago about the pitch chart and how much of a straight line Mackenzie Gores was. And on the slider, there's really no different. Every pitcher has a different shape to their pitches, but I think it's rare to see a gyro slider, which would essentially be a 0-0 point on that grid that we were talking about, and the curveball that close to one another on a pitch chart. You typically don't see that. You see more pitch separation there. Now, especially when you consider how much success the slider is having, despite the lack of real pitch separation, that's kind of shocking. The slider is also getting a fantastic 20% swinging strike rate, a 281 WOBA overall, a 27% hard contact isn't ideal, but it's sufficient. It's a very good out pitch for him, especially to righties. As is true with the four-seamer, though, Mackenzie Gore's slider is really not a good pitch for him against lefties, which is really surprising to me, right? Gore is giving up a 348 Woba on his slider to left-handed hitters in a very small sample size. That's like, I think, like top five or six uh, of looking at lefty or same-handed sliders, right? He's still getting a good amount of whiffs with the pitch, but there it is again. He's having trouble commanding the pitch, often missing middle-middle with it, and it gets punished by left-handed hitters. Like with the four-seamer, the Woba will likely come down a bit, but he's clearly established that his lack of overall command is giving him issues. So, so far we've seen that less of a velo gap between the slider and the curveball, along with other factors, has actually led to success for Gore, though, especially against right-handed hitters, which makes him, again, just really fascinating to talk about. I mentioned that changeup. There's a chance for it, right? And I, I understand why he's thrown a few because it's had the most success moving horizontally for him. It kind of sticks out on the movement profile. Uh, there's a chance for it. Really, there is, but there needs to be a lot more consistency with that pitch or there at least needs to be something that gives Gore a lot more horizontal element to his game. With that said, though, again, another exception to the rule, there's a path for him to have success like this. It's not uncommon uncommon for guys to do that. I mean, that's what Tyler Glass now would ostensibly do is have success going north and south like that. I also wonder, too, if the horizontal aspect of his game, right, if his pure north-south makes batters more used to it, and Gore becomes a bit more of an outlier in that sense, right? And I know you might be looking, too, at his you know, the break on his curveball and his slider and think, well, how is he talking about it that he's like a north-south pitcher? But really, if you look at the plane of his pitches and his break chart, that's that's very telling of something, right? Um, but yeah, to, to return to that point, guys are so used to seeing the horizontal movement of a sweeper, right? And there's going to be a pendulum swing, I believe, which I think, you know, Chris Langan talked about with Eno on his podcast on The Athletic a couple of months ago about as you see more sweepers, the league average sweepers start to look better, right? And in terms of Mackenzie Gore, I do wonder if guys are so used to seeing sliders and heavy sweepers and all that kind of movement that when they come to Gore, they're like, this is different. This is different than what I've seen. Lefties doesn't really seem to matter because they're hitting him hard. What stinks, though, is I don't know how well the Nats as an organization are going to be able to improve him. I don't think his improvements can necessarily be credited to the Nats as much as Gore putting in his own work, as in my conversations with people, the Nats aren't necessarily an organization synonymous with pitching development overall, but he has made positive strides so far. So, What's the TLDR here? Like, I just listened to this entire episode. What are some of the takeaways that I can take about Mackenzie Gore? 
Mackenzie Gore made significant strides with that four-seamer by increasing his extension and making the perceived or effective velocity on the pitch top 10 in baseball. His inability to successfully locate the pitch at the top of the zone may be hindering his ability to have consistent success with that pitch. There was a change to the shape of his curveball to give it a bit less drop, and he increased the velocity of the pitch, separating what was a nice gap between that and his slider. The two pitchers, uh, the shot, the, excuse me, the two pitches, the curveball and the slider, are shockingly close to one another from a relative sense in terms of movement profile, but it hasn't really mattered so far as he's picking up elite amounts of swings and misses across both of his breaking pitches. The command is going to be a problem for him. It's not an easy thing to necessarily fix. He's acknowledged it himself, and as a result of that command, we see inconsistency in terms of curveball location and a really infrequent changeup. We know that the splits are problematic for him, and teams may continue to stack lefties against him to see what happens first, positive regression, or just to see if they're going to continue hammering on his pitches from the left side of the plate. And Gore moves a lot north to south with not a lot of east to west, but that doesn't necessarily mean he can't have success doing what he's doing. So there you have it. My exhaustive breakdown of Mackenzie Gore. I am sure there is more, but you've already listened to me for 25 minutes talk about this one pitcher. I hope it was enjoyable. We also broke down perceived and effective velocity as well as the theory of effective velocities. Something interesting to think about. Join me next week as we are going to look down, we're going to look to break down Bobby Miller with Eno Saris, who's going to join us. But until then, I'm Alex Fast, and I'll talk to you guys next week.